Welcome back to the Carmali Exchange. I'm Faisal Carmali, and I'm here with Blake McDonald. He is the president of Orange Theory Fitness Center. And if you've been living under a rock and you don't know what Orange Theory is, well, pay attention now. A boutique fitness studio franchise with a fiercely loyal membership base. Participants wear a heart rate monitor to measure and track performance in real time. Orange Theory Fitness is described as the perfect combination of coaching, science, and technology to produce the most efficient one-hour workout in North America. Blake is responsible for bringing Orange Theory to Canada, opening its first location in St. Albert in 2012. But why the hell would he choose St. Albert to start this franchise? Keep on pushing to meet the needs of the customer, will meet the needs of the business. The Carmali Exchange is brought to you by Master Chocolate by Bernard. Blake, how are you doing today? I'm great, Faisal. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. So I, I know that um, everybody knows about Orange Theory. We've got 17 studios, if I understand correctly. Is that right? Uh, well, I, I actually own and operate uh, uh, 28 studios in uh, three, four different provinces, but we actually have 107 studios in Canada, uh, 1,500 studios uh, in, across 25 different countries globally. Now, we have a sponsor for, for our show, and it's Master Chocolate. They've got these great boxes in here, and in every box is some great chocolate. But in this case, what we're gonna do for us is gonna have three different topics. We've got how to franchise, becoming president, where do you find the time, are our three categories. In each of these boxes, we've got some special questions uh, for you. So you get to pick first, Blake. Where would you like to go first? Well, let's start with box number two. Box number two, becoming president. All right, the master chocolate box is opening up. I want to eat the chocolate too, by the way, Blake. I really do. Okay. All right, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what life was like before you stepped into the role of, at president of Orange Theory? Yeah, for sure. Well, listen, I, you know, I've been married for almost, uh, for over 20 years now, I guess. Uh, I got a couple of kids. They're 17 and 19 now, but uh, before Orange Theory, they were really young. You know, we'd been in the fitness business before Orange Theory Fitness, so we had a couple of brands, uh, Club Fit and World Health. They were regional brands in Alberta, Alberta, mostly Edmonton and Calgary. Uh, and they were in sort of the big box fitness business. And it's funny, a very long story, but I won't tell it, but we actually bought Club Fit from the Peter Pocklington receivership uh, back in the day. So if you remember Peter Pocklington, he was the poor unfortunate soul that traded Gretzky to the LA Kings. and. Uh, all his businesses kind of got uh, recollected, and, and we uh, we bought one from uh, from an insolvency. So uh, that's how we got into the fitness business in the first place. Um, you know, we we actually took that business, we uh, doubled the the revenue, quadrupled the profit profitability, and then sold it to a private equity firm back in two thousand eight. So that that was kind of what life was like before Orange Theory Fitness and. You know, getting into it was was kind of a just sort of a freak thing. We had a, a consultant, a guy who had consulted with us for years in about 2009, right, right, right after we had sold World Health and and Club Fit. We we actually uh, got a call from him saying, "Hey, so you got to come check out this really cool concept in Florida." And we sort of blew him off for for about a, a year and said, "Ah, you know, we're not interested in doing a deal in Florida, and we're not, you know, we're not. I don't want to fly down there." After about eight or nine months of hounding us, we, we flew down and looked at at this thing, and it was pretty raw in its in its in its infancy. And uh, but you could see this this perfect combination of of science, technology, and coaching that really was you know it was unique to Orange Theory, and 
that's the impetus behind getting uh, us getting into it was just going down and experiencing a workout ourselves and being like that oh, man there's nothing else like this um, and, and that's where you know we immediately got involved Blake it's it's neat that you've had experience in this industry how was there a mental shift as a president that you had to adjust to when you went from what you were doing to orange theory yeah for sure like the the, the biggest thing you know with big box and when, when you find those traditional gyms you kind of run the build the, the business model and you charge in a way um, that that you know certain a certain percentage of members are not going to show up you know that that part of the business model that part of the fitness industry always bothered me yeah. shifting over to orange theory and when we saw this brand where like we had this amazing product it became about how do we sell a membership for really what it's worth based on the fact that we need these we want these people showing up two to three times a week how do we build systems to ensure that you know when people don't show up for a week or two they're getting a call from us saying hey listen like can we get you booked back in here? We got to get we got to get you going. We we don't sell on on one or two year contracts. You know our, our agreements are month to month, uh, and so we got to earn our business every month from our customers. So yes, there was a huge shift from being part of the big box industry to being a part of the you know Orange Theory boutique model. It was more accountability, having more accountability, and building a culture where we had more accountability to our to our members. The business model that you guys have put on, I, I find it very similar to when I compare, let's pick on the big companies, Netflix versus Cable Corporation. Cable company, you're committing two, three-year contract, you're paying a certain amount of fees. If you watch TV or not, it doesn't matter, you're still paying it. Right. And in comes Netflix, and it's month to month. You know, And if you don't provide good content, you're not going to be used as much, you're going to be probably unsubscribed to a certain, de a certain degree in, in your situation, similar approach. So how do, what's that connection? As a president, and you're, you're way up here, and we'll call it the Ivory Tower of Edmonton, um, and all the, all the franchises have to kind of um, participate in this. When you look from your, your level, what's the key thing that your franchisees, as well as the, the, the members and the staff working there, have to do to engage the members to keep on coming back month after month after month? It comes down to every single workout, every single class, every single member visit. You know, how do you make somebody's day? How do you know something about them? How do you have a personal connection, know people's names? We spend a ton of time as an organization uh, educating our franchisees on the value of that concept. And then, you know, we provide tools for, for the staff, for the coaches, for the sales associates and, and the front desk people in our, in our organization, for, for all of the studios, to, to be really good at that. Um, you know, that's the difference, right? And every month we have an Orange Nation Canada webinar um, where we speak to all of, you know, it's, it's really, a, it's a webinar for franchisees, for staff, for coaches, for everyone. We spend a ton of time, probably I'd say 60 or 70% of that webinar actually speaking about how to create that member experience with every class uh, and every member visit and how do you make people's day. I mean, that, that be, that, that's become part of our culture. Um, and it's also what we attribute some of our success to as well. Absolutely. It's something about culture for sure. I'm going to carry on with uh, becoming president, opening up the next box. you got to take a look at this, Blake. Like, look at the chocolate in here. we got to send a couple of boxes your way. They're beautiful. Yeah, you're making me you hungry. See that? Okay. Um, what was the process of stepping into your current role? Like, how did you get into the role of president? 
um, accident, purpose? What was the in, what was the process? Yeah, I didn't really step into the role as much as you know my partner David Hardy and I. Uh, you know, when we found OTF, we found it sort of in in its infancy. So we, we brought it back. We, we immediately uh, negotiated the purchase of the master rights for Canada. Um, and we came back to Canada and we were like, well, listen, the first thing we need to do if we're going to franchise this is we need to know how to operate these. And so we immediately uh, started our studio company first, which was the, the, the organization called OTF Affiliates, which runs all of our the own studios that we own in Canada. Um, and we opened our first studio in St. Albert, Alberta which is my hometown. We picked St. Albert because, you know, I had lots of personal connections there. I knew a lot of my friends and family would support it. Uh, also knew the market really well. I knew where people shopped. I knew where they traveled. I knew, you know, where the good real estate was. And so it was an easy place to start uh, in terms of trying to, to make sure that we could be successful as operators first. So that first um, company, o OTF Affiliates, uh, I was president of that because I was the guy that was in the studio uh, in the very first pre-sale. I mean, I was I was the guy wearing the orange suit, tr stopping traffic and and selling memberships. So it wasn't really a matter of stepping into the role. It was more like you know somebody's got to be responsible for making this first location successful and and uh, and sort of grew from there. And that's I can't I think a key thing when people start up their business or if they're they're buying into a business, someone has to step up. And I think that's where a key thing comes out of that. You know, when you look at from a franchising perspective, what's the number one tip for successful franchising that you would give out? Before you start franchising a concept, you have to, you have to be successful at making a multiple locations work. You, you can't just have one location that makes money or that you, know, that you yourself have worked inside of. That was one of the things that we, you know, we made sure we didn't do. We, we opened St. Albert in 2012. Uh, we didn't start franchising after that, that location was successful. The next thing we did is we opened three more locations uh, in Edmonton. And that was actually tough for us because what we found out was, holy crap, you know, this is a lot harder than, you know, running four locations became very difficult. Um, you know, you have different staff, you have different perceptions of what the brand is supposed to be. And so what it did is it forced us to come up with systems. It made us sort of evaluate uh, what we needed to, to build so that people could replicate the experience in all four locations. And, and, and really, that became the basis for franchising, for supporting our franchisees. But before you start taking people's life savings and, and having them invested in a concept, you know, suggest that you, you prove it out first and take the time to, to do it in multiple locations because that forces you to figure out how you're going to support uh, your franchisees once they once they're up and running and I'd, I'd say that's the most important thing What a great tip, you know I get asked the question a lot of you know when you want to try something new in your business How do you do it and and my tip for them is I always I've learned this from some CFOs of some major corporations uh, Throughout Canada and they always say test and invest so you're first investing in the idea and then you test it out So similar to what what you did with your locations you invested and you tested you learn from it You build your operations and procedures and that way you know you can build on beyond that. We're down to two boxes left. How to franchise and where to where do you find the time? Uh, where to franchise. All right. Master chocolate box for how to franchise. Okay, so why St. Albert? Like I, You mentioned that this is like your home city and so forth, but St. Albert offered something to you specifically that others did. Yes, you, it was your hometown. Yes, you knew the people, 
but not always does a business thrive or work out well if it's, you've got home ice advantage, we'll call it that. What did you learn from opening in St. Albert initially? Yeah, so look, the, the first thing I would suggest that, that, that really made us successful, and, it, and it, it's how we've been able to, to grow to 107 locations in, in Canada is, um, you know, our, our concept before we, you know, you got to build out a studio. It takes you three or four months to do that. And uh, while you're constructing that studio, what are you doing? What we do and what makes us so successful is during that construction period, we run what's called a pre-sale. Uh, and it's really like a chance for people to reserve a special rate that, that they'll never get again once the studio is open. You know, we staff a, a, a little trailer or maybe an adjacent space. We create a whole bunch of excitement around the brand. We do a bunch of guerrilla marketing. And, you know, we, what we try and do is we get, you know, 450 to 500 people to, uh, to, to sort of reserve these rates so that when we go to, uh, right before we open, we, we do call uh, sneak peek classes and it, you know, we start getting all these people in and we, we use that as an opportunity to also make sure that we're, we're, our, our coaches are trained correctly. But, but the day we open, we turn on billing for 450 members and we are immediately profitable as opposed to taking months and months and months to build the, the momentum of uh, you know, getting to that, that membership number and you know, the whole time you know, losing a bunch of money. So we, you know, when we went to St. Albert, that, that concept of a pre-sale, you know, it was important to, for me to understand the community. How could we break into the community? Where could we, where could we go for, you know, to, to do guerrilla marketing? You had to go to the St. Albert Farmer's Market and and all the different community events uh, to really get get into the the market and, and get the exposure we needed to be successful with that. So that was why, um, and it's it was part of the key to our success. And that became that concept of presale became uh, a concept that we really uh, used to 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 make so many locations successful across Canada. Uh, but you know, what did we learn? I'd say that. Uh, once we got it open, that the, the concept was super raw at the beginning. We didn't have pre-formatted workouts. We didn't have templates. We were using, you know, whiteboards to explain the, the you know, the different workout. Like, there's just so many things we didn't have. And so uh, it was figuring out all the technology, the coaching and class formats and the member experience that we wanted to be successful. And that's, that's, why, that's why we ran St. Albert for almost two years before we started franchising in Canada. One part that you mentioned, you talked about guerrilla marketing. You were going to farmer's markets and so forth to get members and you'd kind of want to hit the ground running with, a, with already paid members coming in so you're already profitable. I think a lot of business owners, when they start off, don't think about the sales side of their business right out the get-go. They're just saying, when we build it, they will come, thinking it's some baseball diamond, and it's not the case. You know, it doesn't always work that way. So getting out there, getting people to connect with you, getting people to connect with the idea, the concept, and actually having sales is fantastic. So I think that's a big tip that people can learn from when you're franchising. I got one more on the franchising question when it comes to this. Um, what do you look for in a business before you invest it? Because one thing that people have to remember about Blake is that he's not a linear business owner. He's so wide in his scope. It's not just fitness, it's outside of fitness. So you've got opportunities coming at you all the time. What do you do? What do you look for when you're ready to invest in a private corporation? First and foremost, we're looking for companies that have a product that is amazing. The other thing that we, we look for in businesses is typically 
you have to have built a great company around that business. So how do you support that amazing product uh, and the growth of, of that amazing product? Well, the only way you can do that is you have to look at who, who are all the stakeholders, like your customers, your franchisees, your staff, the company itself. Are they all able to um, simultaneously benefit from, from this, this concept? Um, so, for example, if you have a you have a great fitness product like Orange Theory Fitness Class, but the franchisees aren't making any money because you're not charging enough dollars for that product. Well, it's not going to grow. It's not going to be a successful business because you know one of the stakeholders isn't isn't getting that. Similarly, if the if the members aren't receiving value for their dollar and they're not getting the results they need, they're quitting or they're you know forty or fifty percent of of the the members aren't showing up. Well. That you're not going to be successful. So I think that's the key for, for any business. A great product uh, and at the end of the day, uh, building an organization around it where, where you have alignment and everyone finds success together. You start Orange Theory in 2012, if I remember correctly. That's right. If you were to go back 12, 13 years ago and now look at yourself, what shocks you? What has shocked you about you, Blake, as the individual, about what you've achieved or haven't achieved uh, and it shocked you. Um, geez, that's a great question. I'm. Uh, what would shock me? Probably how little hair I have. Uh, <laughs> um, no, honest, honestly, it's. Uh, I would say that um, I think I'm shocked to have gone through the the huge growth so quickly, and then I'm. I was also shocked to see this big, you know, dip that we saw with the pandemic as well. I, I agree with you when it comes to the pandemic and everything's come out of it. it was a big shock for all of us. All right, where do you find the time? Master Chocolate Box opening up now. Um, I think um, this is a question that a lot of, I would say, newer business owners, and I say newer, within the first 10 years of their journey, ask this question. So, professional curler, president of Orange Theory, VP of a private equity firm, you do have all these different roles and responsibilities, and, and you know, how do you actually balance and manage all of that? Because you're not just wearing one hat, you're wearing many. So how do you balance all that with all the different priorities and them asking for your time and your expertise? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I would suggest that my curling days sort of came in a, in a very um, uh, time when we were sort of between businesses. We'd sold Club Fit. And so I was able to, to spend three or four years really focusing on my curling. I played third for a guy named Kevin Cooey. And... We won the, the Briar and the Worlds in 2010, but um, but shortly thereafter, like that's when we got involved with Orange Theory and, and curling sort of went to the back burner again, and and uh, really haven't really haven't picked it up since. Um, balancing family and and uh, and and all the work commitments that that's the tough part too, and it, I, I honestly think it comes down to constantly evaluating your priorities. Um, you know what what's going to be important for, for you as a person and, and what commitments have you made um, from an integrity standpoint that you need to, that you need to live up to. So when, when you look at all of those different things, they, they all, they are all part of uh, one concept, which is, you know, you're part of, you're part of different teams, whether it's your family or your curling team or your, your, uh, your, you know, the different organizations that you exist within. You're part of um, teams whose purpose uh, of existence is, is bigger than any one of those individuals. And um, you gotta, it's about aligning your personal ambitions uh, with what those bigger goals are. 
Um, and, and ultimately, that's what's going to lead you to success in each of those areas. And listen, it doesn't come without its, its peril either. It's not, not everything's great at, at, all at the same time, all the time. Yeah, and I, I like the fact that you're focused on integrity. I think, you know, when I wear multiple hats, multiple businesses, I get that question asked to me, uh, how do you fit it all in? Um, I jokingly say I don't sleep as much. But I think because everything that I do when it comes to the different businesses I'm part of, yeah. I'm aligned in my value system. I don't have to change my value system. You're using the word integrity. It all aligns. So it doesn't seem like I have to drop one for another. They just all fit in. They all work together. We make things work. Sometimes we have to you know, put uh, our job aside and focus on family and vice versa. And it happens, but that's part of being a business owner and entrepreneur. But I think that's a key thing. If it's alignment of your value system, uh, which family fits in there, uh, that's, that's a key thing. So I really appreciate the integrity comment there. All right, last master chocolate box here, Blake, ready? I'm ready. Okay, how, how does prioritizing health impact when you have to prioritize family, your business, and uh, your friends, and everything else that goes on, but your health has to be, has to be prioritized too? Because that's my, to be honest with you, Blake, my biggest downfall, I will push my workouts off to handle everything else on many occasions. That's my, my, my biggest fault. I'd love to hear your advice and tips on how do I put myself and others, their health as a priority. Well, you know, <clears throat> I use this analogy quite frequently, but if you've ever been on a plane before, one of the things they say in the announcement is, look, if you're traveling with a child and you know things go sideways and top of the plane goes off, the first thing you need to do is you need to put your mask and get, get your mask on yourself before you look after someone else. And, and I, I really akin that to fitness. If, you, if you're not able to look after your own health and, and wellness, uh, both mental and physical, you are not going to be there for your business. You're not going to be there for your family. You're not going to be there for all your other commitments. I think like there's some entrepreneurs out there that will say, I will do it later. Yeah. It's not like it's not a priority. It's just not a priority today. And I think what you've said right there is if you don't put that mask on first, then you're going to pass out and you'll be, everybody that's counting on you in your business and outside of your business you're going to let them down too because you're not there to help them along the way through everything. So Blake, with so many option, uh, opportunities out there, think of every single location across the country that you have. Every location has some sort of tweak or difference in pricing to some degree. Now, the question that we get, normally get is, is pricing set from head office and you just follow it? Or is it basically from the, from the individual operator's uh, decision-making process? How do you figure that out? What's the, what's the secret sauce or magic formula? Yeah, for sure. So listen, I think, I think consistency is, is, is really important. Um, so what we do is we create pricing tiers. Then we apply those, those pricing tiers to different markets based on their cost structures within those markets based on the economic factors with the customer base. So you think about Calgary. Calgary has, you know, uh, a pretty large market of one point, you know, almost five million people. They're all tier seven studios. And so they have a certain pricing structure that's consistent among those studios. Once you start getting outside of Calgary, the tiers drop because operation, operational costs drop. And so we've applied that, that sort of pricing strategy throughout Canada. Yeah. And there are, you know, there are certain offers you can get from time to time with, you know, discount the first month or maybe they provide a little bit of free time or things like that. But at the end of the day, the, the core pricing for all the members is the same. Yeah. So let me just kind of understand this a bit better. If, if I'm in the Calgary area, certain parts of Calgary 
have a higher economic neighborhood than other parts of Calgary. Are you saying that the pricing is relatively the same core pricing from one part of Calgary, regardless of the economic market? That's correct. Unless you got outside of Calgary into one of the suburbs or whatever, then you're going to find it's a little bit lower. Here's where the, different li- the difference lies with many other businesses that are doing a, a membership model is that they will base their pricing. And let me take, for example, outside of your industry in tutoring. So my daughter has to go for math tutoring. I'm working on it. I'm really working on it with her. Okay, so she, she goes into the area near I live, which is way more expensive than if they just go 20 minutes away from where I'm at, purely because of where we live. And I think that's kind of a disadvantage. You could start seeing cannibalization of, of, of business going from one location to another because well, the pricing is different. And that's why we don't do that because quite honestly, in, in a lot of cases, a lot of the studios in Calgary are owned by different franchisees. So you don't want to have that. that creating arbitra- pricing arbitrage uh, will just create cannibalization. It means that you know franchisees are, are at odds with one another. That's not consistent with building a really strong team. Uh, that's that's yeah. aligned and, and in it together and, and working together to be successful. We believe in a consistent pricing policy and the only difference is really when you signed up, right? Where if yeah. you're a legacy member, you, you probably have a better pricing. Which I think is a very interesting piece to keep on promoting as well. Yeah. One last question I have for you, Blake. If you were to do this all over again with Orange Theory, what's the one thing you would do differently? Mm, what a great question. I, you know, I'm, it's... I'm not sure I, I, I can answer that that, that well because I, I, I typically am not a person who looks backwards and, and you know, I, I think a lot of times the, the mistakes you make are also the things that, that you know, make you better. Uh, if you learn from your mistakes and if you can correct and through any journey in life, whether it's your you know, work or career or whatever, I think that's, that's part of, you know, being a human being and, and growing. So what, what, what we saw the last three years with the global pandemic yeah, I would have. I would have maybe put more stock into it. Maybe paid attention a little bit closer to it, and and tried to prepare the organization a bit better for that. But you know, hindsight's fifty-fifty, and I'm I just not sure that would have even been possible or or even logical at the time, right? So uh, I don't. I don't know if I have an answer to that. I I honestly think that um, looking backwards is it, it's about learning. It's not about you know wishing you could change something. I think that's the answer right there. You know, learning from it and not. Not having that word regret. I think if I look back over the last 12, 13 years, what I would do differently is become an Orange uh, Theory member a lot sooner. So that's the one thing I would definitely do. Blake McDonald, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Faisal. I really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, yeah, this is, I really enjoy your show. So this is, uh, this is a pretty exciting opportunity for me. Thanks. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for more from the Carmali Exchange and feel free to follow me on social media at Faisal Carmali.